Welcome to the Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Grant Smith from the ANU's Department of Pacific Affairs, and I'm joined by my co-host, Louisa Lim, former China correspondent for the BBC and NPR, now with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at Melbourne University. We're on air thanks to support from the Australian Centre on China and the World. This month, we're delving into the drama surrounding boy love, or BL dramas, known in Chinese as danmei. This is a type of online novel or television drama that revolves around male relationships. But the catch is, it's often written by women for women. And boy love fans have become a formidable political and economic force, making and destroying both brands and celebrities. To discuss this, we're joined by Angie Becker, a lecturer at the University of Hong Kong who specialises in the cultural history of China and is a massive Boys Love fan. We're also delighted to be joined by a Boys Love author who for the past five years has been writing under the name Huangsang Zheng Huangzhe, which translates directly as Sufferer of Fantasy. She's asked that we call her this pseudonym for reasons that will soon become clear. Angie, let's start with you. Where did BL come from? I think the standard kind of like narrative of um, BL's origins would probably start in the 1970s, specifically with the TV show Star Trek and a lot of women who were writing um, fan fiction at that time um, that was pairing uh, Kirk and Spock. So this was a romantic relationship that they didn't see fulfilled on the show, but they wanted to write stories that had it itself. (laughs) Um, So I think that's one of the origin points. But I would say that BL and specifically like Danmei in the Chinese context is a really like global, um, regional, transnational phenomenon too. And so a lot of Chinese culture for BL uh, comes from Japanese novels, uh, BL novels, um, Taiwan, Thailand, uh, places like that are all very well known for having uh, dramas, novels, things like that, that explore male-male relationships and pairings. So Huansang Zhu Huanzhi, maybe you could talk about this from the point of view of an author, because I know that you write stories about these two characters who come from a Japanese anime, Gintama. And it's basically fantasy fan fiction starring these two characters, right? What makes your stories sort of boys love stories and not gay stories? What is the difference? Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting and a quite good question. So I, I personally do set the BL literature apart from the homosexual or the gay literature in general. I think for me, in my work, the, the characters themselves come first. So it comes first based on the work itself, my, my passion for the work and for the characters themselves. And then the romantic relationship comes into place where I see these two characters to have this possibility or I would like see them to be in this relationship. And then that's where the gender context come into place. It's almost as if happens to be two male characters. I personally don't like this expression too much, but I think it's an intuitive way of understanding it. So you're taking established stories and just spinning off them, right? How much do you use your imagination? Are you kind of setting it in other times, in other universes? I mean, talk to us a little bit about how you develop these ideas. The BL story space is, is it, it's very broad. So there are different types. You can, of course, base your work almost purely on the original work itself, uh, based it on its own universe, based on its own concept, and follow the storyline with only very small uh, change from the original background. 
you can also kind of base on it by just like going to parallel universe and and try to work something off on that. Like some major instance in the story changes or or people meet in different time and places under the same background. It's also possible to do a lot of, lot of parodies. I work mostly under parodies, so I don't usually work with the original background of Gintama itself. I work across like more than background, uh, sort of science fiction, a lot of fantasies uh, under different worldview, experimenting with different relationships, like different age gap, different uh, backgrounds, put these two people into a lot of different contexts and see how, how this relationship might work out. So it's it's very flexible. It's very interesting to to experiment with all of this. And and how did you choose these two characters in the first place? Like what, what drew you to them? Uh I don't I did not choose them. I, I watched this work and I just fell in love with these two characters. That's that's probably the right the right way of describing it. It's not my uh voluntary decision. <laughs> so I just see see them to have this very, very strong bond. Just from these two characters themselves, they are they, they met at a very early age, like when they're about eight, nine years old, they're together for about 10 years from, from childhood to adolescence. And they're, and then their, their mentor, the, the most important person in their life are, are taken hostage by some enemy force, which is the, the whole thing of the background. And then their mentor got killed uh, right in front of them after 10 years of trying to take him back. And then they, 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 of course, they did not actually get over this trauma and they got kind of went on separate roads, but they meet again, again in this original work and uh, meet each other again in, in a different sense. So I'm not sure if this makes sense, but this is just, just to give you a, a general overview of how, how these two characters, both like from a, from a concrete story perspective, they have a very strong bond, but also emotionally, they have these very deep emotional conflicts, which I, I do see this as something that can spar a romantic relationship as something that goes far beyond that. That's why why I experiment with them a lot. Yeah. And Angie, what's what's your boys love diet like? How did you get started? And you know, how wide is the other kind of, you know, dramas that you watch or read? I think you mentioned this earlier, but BL Danme, um, it's it's really fluid between kind of like mediums. Not only is there this creativity in terms of the different settings that you can put it in writing, but like it goes between film and TV and published literature, online literature, things like that, too. So for me, um, I'm super interested in television uh, and specifically mainland Chinese television, because I find uh, this negotiation of public space that happens on TV with these narratives to be so fascinating. Um, so I will often like watch a show first and then read the novel later. <laughs> I've been like a lurker with fan fiction for a long time. <laughs> if I can ask you, um, I mean, how, how spicy can you get with your writing given your main audience is in mainland China? And, uh, and my sense is things have tightened up quite a lot in the last couple of years. So, I mean, what is not possible now that was maybe possible a couple of years ago? Short answer is it's possible always to write about everything. Uh, there's no boundary about what I can write or what I choose to write. Uh, however, there there is the censorship in the system uh, of the Chinese system. So so that, as you mentioned, has gotten tighter and tighter each year. So I don't think it's really possible to do to, to like, I think currently almost all the literature are, are purely platonic. Like, it's very hard to write anything with physical contacts nowadays. But 
Chinese audience accepts most of the things. It's not like censorship in place and people just get angry when you write about things that are supposedly censored. But there are two two layers of this story,、um, depending on how you view it. Angie, I was going to ask you. I remember when you you were saying there's this, you know, some stuff on television that's actually quite risque, right? And that you were talking about this weird. Sort of dissonance where you watched a whole episode of something about a hand job, <laughs> but they pretended it wasn't about sex. How does that work in the boys' love world? Yeah,、uh, so I think what I was talking about specifically in that instance、um, was the show called Addicted,、um, which was like one of the first like mainstream popular web TV series.、Um, it aired, and I think I want to say 2016, it, it went on air. Um, and it starred these two idols,、uh, Huang Jingyu and、uh, Timmy Xu,、um, just really gorgeous, cute guys. <laughs>、um, and it's set in in like a Beijing high school kind of like scene, so it has this very kind of like nostalgic like hutong kind of setting and a Chinese families things like that.、Um, and yeah, I think episode like nine or ten, like literally the plot of the episode is one of the the boys trying to convince the other one that it's not gay for him to give him a hand job. <laughs> um, but the thing about that series is that that was the show that went too far, right? So that show actually has like really clear like allusions to gay sex、um, and sexual activity between men.、Um, they're shown in a bed. They're shown touching, right?、Uh, they talk about their relationship and how they want to be more than just stepbrothers. That was the show that got pulled back because it did go too far,、um, and so ever since then,、um, you've had all these other BL shows that have been really trying to negotiate. Like they're like, well, that was the red line, right? So that show went too far, but what's the space that we can explore? How can we still make it clear to the audience that this relationship with these two men has kind of other valences, right?、Um, but not get in trouble, still maintain kind of like a plausible deniability for for censors or say your conservative grandmother if she's watching the show with you, you know. <laughs> And Angie, I mean, the the main audience for this is is very much straight women. So I mean, could you talk to us a bit about what the appeal is? I mean, is it about the breaking of taboos, or is it something more simple? I mean, when I was in Anhui, I used to struggle to get served at restaurants because all of the、uh, women would be watching Korean soap operas, and they'd be these beautiful, moisturised, manicured men that they would never meet in real life.、Um, I mean, is it partly the appeal of just seeing a type of masculinity that they're never going to come across? Um, and what, what, what's the appeal? Is it about taboos, or is it about a different type of man? I mean, I think that's a really great question. And、uh, one of the things that's so fascinating about this space is because it is a space where sexuality and masculinity are being explored in a lot of different ways. I can only answer personally in terms of like what I like about this. I think other people have a different take,、um, especially depending on their different subject positions. But it intuitively makes sense to me. Why are some straight women? Why some women of different sexualities,、uh, some women who are、uh, presenting straight but might be exploring like other types of, of sexualities, why they would be interested in writing stories about relationships between two men, and that's because in so many narratives, women get the short shrift in the narrative, right? So women are always like supplemental kind of devices, or they are in service to like a central male figure. They're discarded, like they're plot points, right? <laughs> they're never the center of the action themselves, and more than that, they don't have their own agency, right? Um, and so, if you want to write like a story about a woman who's a warrior, there's always like a moment of of incredulity, like, but how could she fight, right? Like, are are her is her breast armor going to like reveal 
the shape of her breasts? <laughs> you know, like that, that seems to be like the question that we focus on when we talk about like, can women do stuff right in, in these kinds of stories? Um, and so, yeah, it makes intuitive sense to me that you would simply maybe give up <laughs> on writing women characters um, in favor of exploring relationships between men because they don't have this narrative baggage. They can do whatever they want. Um, and that includes uh, transcending uh, sexual taboos. Um, and I do think a lot of BL is about exploring taboos too. And what is it like for you as an author? Is there an element of sort of wish fulfillment that you're writing these ideal, metrosexual, beautiful men into being when Chinese men have got such a rigid model of masculinity? Um, Yeah, I, I agree with the point that I think a lot of BL is actually a very good space to experiment with a lot of taboos, or or not taboo per se, but with the fluidity of sexuality itself. I don't wor- work with feminized uh, male a lot. There are a lot of different variations of how masculinity can be described in BL work. It can be two very masculine male, it can be two very feminine male, more frequently one masculine, one relatively feminine male. It's very much based on personal preferences, and you can always push that boundary. Whether you like to watch two very masculine male together, I think that's that's also something that's of very high value, but you can also push the boundary to another extreme. If a man is transformed to another female, if it's actually a story between a male and a female, but the female was or, the female was originally a male in that work, does that still count as BL, or is actually some, something that's different? So there's a lot of boundaries being pushed around in, in the BL work. I think the bottom line there is that first, as I said, it's about character. I don't care too much about their gender. I care about them as human beings first. And second, for the BL work itself, the gender itself gets blurred. And I think the experimentation, the fluidity, and how much you can push the boundary around in BL itself is something that I, I do value. I mean, I'm I'm quite new to this, but I'm now addicted to the Untamed, as I was um, telling Angie before I came on. But as a writer, I'm curious. I mean, the feeling I get from the Untamed is it's not just the two male leads who are who are queer; it's the whole cast in many ways. There's a whole variety of subplots, and it's it's you know it's not just one couple. There's a whole bunch of couples, and it's very very fluid um, the whole way through. It's in many ways it's sort of subverting uh, even what you'd call traditional romantic genre in that there's just so many little, you know, sexual tension subplots going on. Is is that common? Yeah, I think that's super common. And I think you're very perceptive to have picked up on that from as early as episode four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like within fandoms, there's a whole kind of like, I don't know if it's hierarchy, but like kind of like you you can distinguish yourself by the couples that you, the CP that you support, you know? And so the most obvious one is always like the main couples, right? So in The Untamed, it's like Lamonti and Wei Wuxian. Most people are into to them as a couple. Uh, but then some people are like, no, I'm a little different. You know, I'm into uh, Lan Xichen and uh, uh, Jiang Cheng, you know, <laughs> um, who are two more minor characters. So I think this is, this is kind of how fandom is, right? This is how people, they could be more interested in exploring these kind of like more minor spaces. But but yeah, I think you're right um, to note that it's not just the main couple that might be gay. It's like everyone else. Um, and in fact, the heterosexual relationships are the most disappointing in The Untamed. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, they're almost, it's they're, just, even at episode four, they feel a bit perfunctory, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. So, Is uh, there any heterosexual relationships? There are. So in the untamed, um, Jiang Yanli, Wei Wuxian's sister, uh, she has this relationship with the heir of the Jin clan. Uh, 
Yeah, and it's just like the most annoying relationship ever. <laughs> well, maybe, they're, they're pretty. They're pretty annoying characters, though. So that might just be that. <laughs> yeah, heterosexual relationships, especially like in the older generation, like those are the ones that are often the most stable. Um, but when you do see, like in the Untamed, the only kiss that occurs on screen is actually between like this. Um, he's like he's a bad character he's a clan leader um he's kind of corrupt right and he kisses a sex worker a concubine um like on screen and that's the only on-screen kiss you get but you often have um this depiction of uh sexuality is like um debauched right um and it's usually heterosexual relationships that are depicted that way um and so the gay ones are the ones that are actually like very chaste <laughs> um and very pure I mean, we've been talking a lot about the untamed i thought maybe i'll just play a little clip from the untamed this is the main couple that angie you were talking about and in the clip you will hear this very famous actor called xiao zhan who plays wei wuxian and he's trying to get the other actor playing Lan Zhan to take off his clothes. So you might get a sense of uh, the dynamics here. So for non-Chinese speakers, just listen for the word poor, which means take off your clothes. You can hear him keep saying, take off your clothes, take off your clothes. I'll take them off for you. I'll help you take them off. The context in that scene is that this like teasing that happens, like trying to get the other character to take his clothes off, there's always an excuse for it. And so the excuse is that uh, Lawanji has been injured and he needs to cough up like vile blood. And once he coughs up the blood, then he'll feel much better. And so Wei Wuxian is like conniving and coming up with this elaborate ruse to get him to be better. It's like he's actually trying to heal him, right? <laughs> um, but I, I think that that's another trope that you see a lot in, in Danme and BL is like um, elaborate ruses to get characters to like to touch and to interact and to go on dates and things like that. <laughs> so, I mean, let's go to that whole economic mobilization that Boys Love fans have done and Xiao Zhan does have sort of ridiculously beautiful, unwrinkled, shining white skin. And he's been a spokesperson and a model for all kinds of brands, including Estee Lauder and Olay. Uh, I'll play you a little bit of an ad from Olay here. Olay So that was for some kind of skin whitening product, and I did love that little English uh, slogan at the end, time to play. Uh, Angie, talk us through how his fans mobilized um, in the beginning to boost the brands that he represented. I think Xiao Zhan is notable because he's like probably one of the most prominent 
uh, male celebrities in Chinese pop culture right now. Um, and that is due in large part to The Untamed. Like the summer in which that show aired, he really just skyrocketed to um, to, to fandom, to, to, to fame, and racked up like one endorsement after another, you know. But in terms of the way that fans support him and the fan economy and how that works, um, it replicates for many fans, right? Uh, but Xiao Zhen just like happens to be one of the most popular ones. Fans uh, are incredibly active and they find ways to support the idols that they uh, they dray, that they follow. Um, the, the kind of tacit agreement is that because you uh, you chase this person, you support them, you take on this kind of like voluntary work where you're really just trying to boost them. Um, so you create accounts on Douban, like maybe multiple accounts to upvote their shows and try to get their shows rated higher. You uh, buy 75 copies, digital downloads of their songs, right? Uh, but there's all these like economies that they participate in to support them or or you buy out the entire stock um, whenever you can of like a new product that they endorse or the way that a lot of consumer goods get sold is like through celebrity partnerships and it's often marketed to, to women. That was him at his peak. Um, but then another group of fans sort of turned on him. I mean, how, how did that go down? Well, I mean, the reason for his downfall wasn't because of his anti-fans, although he does have many, but like the reason he got in trouble was because he had um, fans who were offended by a fan fiction that somebody else had written um, about him. And so they, they thought that it was um, like, I, I don't know, that it embarrassed him in some kind of way, that it was unseemly um, for him to be written about that the way that he was in that fan fiction where he was depicted as a trans sex worker um, who was pursuing his high school aged co-star Wang Yibo. Um, and so that was the fan fiction that fans objected to. And they reported the website to the government. The website got blocked, um, but the website being blocked then kind of erupted into like a much larger like national issue that was really difficult to escape if you were like online at all in the month of March um, in China. <laughs> This website, AO3, publishes just so much stuff, right? And to have the whole website blocked, like really just shuts down everyone's ability to participate in this community. And so there became this freedom of speech kind of cause that was wrapped up around rallying against Xiaojan. And so people felt like the only way that they could express their dissatisfaction with the suppression of this website and the limit on, on creative freedom, right, was to return his goods, to call brands and say, we want you to cancel your partnership with Xiaojan. Um, in some ways, it wasn't even about him at all. It was actually about this website being blocked and bad fan behavior. My God, I mean, it sounds like he's the victim in all of this. Huan Xiang, Zheng Huan Zhe. As an author, how, how do you assess what happened? So I, I would agree with what was said I think it's it's more of a phenomenon that people just got angry about this banning of the website and it erupted into a freedom freedom of speech issue, which I think is also linked with the censorship getting stricter and stricter over the years. Uh, people won't be so reactive if it's just like some website just for some reason being shut down and the other things are operating. Uh, I think that's because... The website itself is one of the few international platforms that's still open in China for access for the fanfiction. Uh, it's a very purely fanfiction-focused platform. It's English-based, and I don't think it has gained too much notice or traction to get itself banned before that. That was not very good impact or emotional impact on people. That's why it erupted. I do see a lot of angry posts. I do see a lot of angry works against not Xiao Zhan, but the spending or, or the censorship thing. 
on the Chinese platform as well uh, in different forms. Uh, I think they're they're mostly under the topic of freedom speech. Yeah. And Angie, could you walk us through how how Xiaojian tried to uh, eat? as the victim in this tried to rehabilitate himself and and get back to uh, the glorious days when he uh, you know couldn't uh, couldn't go for a drive outside well i mean he still can't go for a drive outside and that's kind of the deal you make when you become a celebrity <laughs> at this <laughs> at this level of of renown uh this controversy like was timed with covid right and so um everybody was at home um self isolating during this time and so so nobody was going out and i think that helped him write out a lot of the controversy but then you know it's a standard kind of like celebrity rehabilitation stuff that he did um, when he first made, started making public appearances again. So one of his first public appearances was a poverty relief event, I think in in Hunan. And he did like an in-depth interview. He apologized um, for his fans around that time for their behavior. And, you know, the the standard kind of like idol image is like designer clothes, beautiful hair, you know, sometimes a little bit of makeup and jewelry and things like that. But for this, he was very stripped down, right? So he wore like a blank white t-shirt and very simple, you know, not trying to look too ostentatious. Uh, But since then, he's appeared in a couple of shows, the CCTV miniseries about COVID. (laughs) I think overall, the series turned out to be quite controversial because of the way that it uh, treated women's contributions to the COVID crisis. But Xiao Zhan's role him- itself was, I think, quite well received. He's he's really back in action. You know, he has a more kind of like masculinized look. Um, he's cut his hair. He's doing a military drama with Xiao Jinyu and things like that. But he, I think he's 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 back. He's he, he's <laughs> he hasn't been taken down. Um, but I, one thing I find really interesting, actually, is the way that his studio has taken ownership of this kind of freedom of speech issue and specifically around the idea of online bullying. Um, so they've hired this law firm that um, that specializes in uh, defamation cases online, and they're really trying to go after anti-fans, right? People who intentionally spread malicious rumors about celebrities in order to uh, attack their ability to get a brand endorsement or to have their show on air or things like that. So again, it's very interesting that this kind of mantle of like good behavior online is legally happening uh, through this kind of like legal front that he and his lawyers um, are spearheading. And he's also got a new role as the Winter Olympic spokesman. Did he? Yeah, here's the ad. I can play it for you right here. So what is going on here? Is there a kind of political thing that he sees his rehabilitation by the state as necessary in order to survive as a celebrity? I think it's a common reaction after celebrities who go through a scandal. I don't see this as too different from any other scandals that might happen to a celebrity. It just happens to be tied to the fan fiction community and it has some very bad outcome and impact. So just I, I think it's it's a, it's an interesting cross section how these two communities or this fan base of Xiaozhen of idols and this fan fiction community are kind of linked together. These two have different dynamics. It has different environment. From our perspective, it's almost like the fan base of these idols of Xiaozhen has kind of invades into this more niche forum of fan fiction solve that kind of invades in, leaves some bad impacts and then left this 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 world because it's not actually where they belong to in the first place. Um, 
what I can say about this is I, I, I can just be like, yeah, that happened. It's like a natural disaster. I would say. <laughs> and I'm curious, as an author, I mean, what's your relationship with your um, with your fans? I mean, do you do you face any pressure from your fans to write about your characters in a certain way? I mean, have you ever had sort of bad feedback when you portray them in a certain way? Do do you feel that as an author, or is that something you're relatively um, free from? Uh, that's definitely something that's quite real. Uh, whatever you try to publish on the internet, there are going to be people who read about it, who people who comment. The the feedback I've received so far are mostly very positive. Uh, but that's usually that's mostly because I work in very niche fan base. So. Uh, you can almost imagine this as a very close knit society uh, where people just kind of support and like each other. Uh, so, so I, I'm very uh, blessed in that sense. Uh, most of the comments I receive have been positive so far. If you go to a less niche fan base, for example, a very very popular Japanese anime, or you go into some more popular Chinese work, or for example, the fan fiction of actual real Chinese idols, that becomes more complicated. And uh, I do think there are a lot of dynamics going on. One, one interesting ones that might be interesting to introduce is just there's this coupling thing going on, so CP, uh, which basically refers to the couple you actually support. So there are a lot of dynamics between people who support different couples. Uh, you support A and B, I support B and C, what happens? Can we just be on good relationship, good term with each other, or or we are just kind of fighting? That that's that's a very important question that decides like the dynamic of, of of fan fiction world. Yeah. But you you just talked about um, the fallout as a natural disaster. Why did you use those words? Is it the case that the closure of that platform has meant that it's much harder to write, or is it? that now fanfic users ha- have to register and verify their ID and so the sort of space is shrinking. I mean, talk us through what has happened in the fallout that has been so disastrous for the community as a whole. I think I would view it in two aspects. The first, the website itself is is, is not closed down. It's just uh, it's banned in China. So basically means you need a VPN to actually get to that if you're in mainland China. And that creates some barrier for people who actually want to go to that website and read other works or, or the works, all of the works on that website. So that's that's the, the physical impact. Uh, it, it shrinks the, the, the space a little bit, especially for people who has less access to internet, uh, internet VPN or something like that. Uh, the second thing, as in, it, I think it just has quite negative emotional impact. So, uh, so there, as I mentioned, there are a lot of angry posts, a lot of angry things going on, on the internet at that time. I think first the fan fan fiction community itself is kind of hurt by that angriness and people people fighting over this. I, I would prefer it to be like a positive community where people are just doing constructive things instead of spending time like just fighting each other and fighting external pressures. And also I think it draw unnecessary attention to, to this fan fiction world. The fan fiction about Xiao Zhan itself is very niche, as you can realize from the topic. Usually not too many people will notice it or will read about it. People don't read about it, but people don't think too much about it. People don't actually judge it. 
I personally don't think that type of content should be judged. I think if you if you view it as a self expression, oh, of course it's it's a bit problematic because you're using Xiaojia's name. <laughs> if you if you take the name out of the context and view it as, as a form of self expression art, I think that's fine with me. Ah,、uh, but it draws unnecessary attention to to this type of work, to the fan fiction itself. It draws people who don't actually read this, people who don't under don't actually understand the dynamic of fan fiction, and people try to judge this community without actually learning or reading or understanding too much of it. I haven't seen that too much, but I think that's definitely one of the one of the negative impacts that has happened or might have happened. It's just I'm personally a bit more distant from it. Yeah. I was going to add to that and say that、um, I think there's a really interesting tension between、um, the fan fiction community and its presence online,、um, and then a lot of these web novels getting adapted into more high-profile spaces.、Um, and it's precisely this tension that、uh, we were just talking about, right? This idea that people who don't belong to this community and understand kind of like the norms of this community,、um, including how much tolerance there is for people to explore their own. Interests, their own fetishes, their own fantasies. Right.、Um, when those things get interpreted onto bigger screens and are much more prominent nationally,、um, you're going to have a lot of this kind of tension created too. And so、uh, that's one of the really interesting aspects of seeing、um, so many BL shows that had only been circulating in these web spaces、um, adapted to television. And I mean, it seems part of the appeal of BL originally is is the flexibility that you can write in different genres and in very different. Um, modes, if you like,、uh, but are there any genres that are kind of off limits to BL? I mean, could you set your story in, say,、uh, the Chinese Revolution、uh, and include characters from the Revolution, or could you have it set in, say, the anti-Japanese War, or those kind of no-go areas for BL? What he's asking is, could you have like a Chairman Mao and Zhou Enlai <laughs> romance? <laughs> I didn't want to go there, but yeah, you know, could could, could say Chairman Mao and 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 Joy and Lai kind of、uh, steal furtive glances at the Ningdu Conference in 1927, you know, when they were both pretty hot, you know.、Uh, yeah, that's 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 a that's. I think that question it has quite a simple answer. It's something you can write about, but I don't think something you can publish. Yeah. So that's that's just a short answer. You can you can definitely write about it. I can I can. I can think about it, and I will be like, "Hmm, that that might work,、uh, just from my <laughs> psychologically." But definitely, I don't think first, probably not very appropriate, just from from whatever reason,、uh, as people might know. And second, I don't think you can publish. Graham, it. I think、yeah. you should write it.、Oh, it look, sounds、I'm, like you I'm, have I'm, a, I'm really, a work in progress. I'm really quite、uh, quite keen. I mean, I, I can publish it. Here. Well, I feel like you've really, you've really played this out in your I, head already. I, look, I, I, I have. I'm already. You know. <laughs> and and here's look. Here's a question to throw at all of you. If you if you have the time to write a BL drama, all of you, which two characters would you pick? As an author, you could start again, or Louisa or Angie. Who would who would be your your BL couple of choice to to write stories about? <laughs> could be characters or real people. I don't know if I have an answer to that question. I'll need to think about it more. But I do want to say that, in reference to your earlier question,、um, I have、uh, seen a little bit of fan fiction about、um, like recent political events. And so, when the sunflower movement happened in Taiwan, there was a little bit of fan fiction that was like pairing some of the prominent student leaders together.、Um, and then I've also seen a little bit of that for、uh, Hong Kong protests as well. <laughs> yeah, interesting, Louisa. The the couple that I want to know has anyone ever written about would be Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. 
I don't know if that works. Would that work? That works. <laughs> if you could choose another couple, who would you choose? But she's already got couples. I know, she's though. got a couple. She's been good friend. They've been there for a while. She might want to change. Uh, I, I work with not only one couple. I work with like multiple couples. I work with like two digit, two digit couples. So, like people for 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 like knowledge people who might know, I I do works with uh, Thor and Loki in in, in Marvel. I do works Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, uh, which is very very popular. Uh, and and just in that space, I, I might watch Star Wars and try to fish something <laughs> out of that. <laughs> just for, from based on our initial conversation. But yeah, I, I I work with I work across different different uh, different works. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's it's a lot of possibilities there. So I mean, Angie, I've got a question for you. I mean, to what extent does boys love? Because the way that you guys have talked about it, it's clear that it's actually subversive on all kinds of different levels, sort of culturally subversive, but also it is awakening sort of consciousness about freedom of speech and expression. I mean, to what extent is both the writing and the reading of BL a political act, especially in this age where content is increasingly sanitized and increasingly state-controlled. BL is and can be an extremely subversive space, um, but I also um, think BL can replicate a lot of um, structures that are not subversive. I I also want to draw attention to the fact that uh, many people in the LGBTQ community, um, some enjoy BL, some read it, some don't, some hate it. (laughs) Um, And when you have um, like largely straight women writing romances about gay couples without having much access um, to knowledge about what those relationships are like. Like, I think that there is a huge space for a lot of misunderstandings about queer identities and the LGBT community that can come out of that. You know, I think sometimes when you watch shows that uh, really center male-male relationships, it can be really freeing to see how wide of an expression you can have for different types of, of male relationships, right? To explore not just like homosexuality, but also homosociality and how much more depth male-male relationships can have. Um, but at the same time, when you have such an emphasis on the male relationships, like everyone in The Untamed is like a, a gay man, right? Or, or in, a, in a man-man relationship. Um, but that often comes at the cost of erasing a lot of female characters, right? And so you have this genre that may have started in some ways from the lack of agency given to female characters, but then it replicates um, a lot of the erasure of, of women as centers of agency within stories too. Um, so I, I think it, it can be subversive, yes, and it could be very unsubversive actually. And I'd also want us to add last that, um, you know, we've been talking about BL, um, but there's other types of relationships that are depicted in um, kind of online literature and fan fiction as well, too. And so GL or girls love is definitely also a thing and um, other types of couplings as well. What's the future of boy love? I mean, is it going to go the way of real estate dramas and time travel dramas? Are they just going to say, look, no more of that? This is too problematic? Or do you think writers will always find a way to kind of subtly insert these storylines into different genres? Okay. Um, so I, I'm going to speak specifically about my interest in, in television adaptations of BL, right? Um, and I think in terms of uh, watching the mainstream culture space and pop culture and how BL becomes represented in pop culture spaces, uh, we're only going to see more and more of it. I think the Untamed uh, shows like The Guardian before that, like really proved that BL could be um, commercially successful and get past the censors, right? 
Um, and one of the secrets of BL shows, like within the industry, is that for a rising actor, um, a BL series is one of the best ways to turbocharge your career, right? As Xiao Zhan and Wang Yibo have shown. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of directors, a lot of producers, a lot of actors being very interested in being in BL shows. Um, and I personally have been tracking a handful of BL shows that are in production right now and are going to be um, on air in 2021 and 2022. And every week there's only more shows that are being announced. Um, so I think it will be really interesting in a year or two to see, you know, a whole glut of shows are going to go to air. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how these shows depict these relationships, um, what ends up in the show, how they navigate this line with the censors, um, and then what kind of conversations we have within mainstream society, too, around these relationships. Um, I am a little worried that there might be some kind of like a foreclosing of this space, um, because there's always this kind of Icarus phenomenon of when something gets too popular, right? It gets clipped back a little bit. Um, so I do worry about that. Uh, but I feel like right now we're really um, on the cusp of a rising trend in terms of um, seeing BL represented in pop culture. And as an author, how do you see the future of BL? I mean, are you as positive as Angie? Or do you think there could be a fear that that kind of commercialization ends up kind of narrowing the spaces for people like you and that this is just a kind of blip of a phenomenon rather than something sort of lasting. Yeah. Can I just insert something to, to your last question? Uh, the least thing I want to go into this type of fan fiction realm is any of the political correctness, any of the any of the political influence, any discussion of what is politically right or, or, or even what is right and moral in general. Because as I said, one thing I value most about th this type of work is its fluid nature and all the possibilities that lie within it. And any introduction of correctness of morality or, or even out of protection will kind of uh, hinder that process. And in answer to your question, how I view the future, I think that the fears that I have just said or the fears I have just voiced are some of the barriers I see for BL to, to advance further in China. Because I think with the commercialization, with it drawing more and more public attentions, people tend to, for example, link it with LGBTQ, link, link it with its political influence, link with commercial influence. And I think that ultimately limits the, the potentiality for BL to, to, to experiment to, to extend the, the, the boundary of how, how this can work. Because I feel like this type of boundary can only be pushed with minor or with more niche works. Once it goes into the view of the public, it necessarily draws attention and that becomes more and more difficult. It's just inevitable. So for me, I think my view of the future of the BL, it will split into two different spaces. It will split between it is already split. It is already split now. One is a commercial space where the BL stories lines are trying to get all into all these commercial works, into these TV dramas, into this web series, and gain more uh, voice in the public forum, which is which is 
good or at least fine with me. I, I'm quite neutral on that. The other space that it's split off is the space I'm working in, which is more niche, pure fan fiction, non-commercialized with a smaller audience. And I think in here, we're still trying to push a lot of boundaries. We're still experimenting and what we write or what we create are only for the works uh, that we like and only for the passions for those work. It's quite independent from anything else. I think for that space, it will still exist, but I do see a trend in China to actually for that space to shrink with the censorship going into place. So I'm relatively negative with uh, pessimistic with that space where people work in more niche assurance and trying to push the boundaries. I'm generally more optimistic with the commercial space, but I, I, I the least thing I want to see is how the commercial space actually eats into this more niche market instead of having a more positive influence and they kind of just fight over each other and uh, finally censorship kicks in and, and kills everything. Auntie Huang Chang-Zheng Huangzhe, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That was Angie Becker, a lecturer at the University of Hong Kong who specializes in the cultural history of China, and the author Wang Chang Zheng Huangzhe. Our editing is by Andy Hazel. Our background research is by Julia Bergen and Xu Chong. Our theme music is by Susie Wilkins, and our cartoons and gifts are courtesy of Seb Danta. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>